Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, and uh, this morning we'll be looking at verses 12 down to 20. Galatians chapter 4, we'll look at 12 down to 20. Um, I do want to welcome uh, again uh, Lee and Joanne, it's great to have them here with us um, they were praying for you before you existed as a church. Not as human beings, but as, as a church. They were praying for you uh, long before then. They, they lived in passage for a time. They also did our marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling. So we're still married. So, so hopefully that worked. <laughs> um, uh, long may that continue. Um, so yeah, just, just praise the Lord for you guys. And just wonderful to have you here. Um, Let's read God's word together. Galatians 4, uh, verse 12, down to verse 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, as we have heard your word this morning, we pray again that, Lord, you would speak. Lord, you would speak through these simple passages into our hearts, change our hearts and our lives. May we respond to your truth, the truth that you have for us this morning. And Lord, there are many things going on in our minds and hearts. Lord, um, no. You know what we're thinking. You know what we're feeling. You know how tired we are or how excited we are about this morning. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would help us have our minds focused upon you and what you have to say to us. I pray all these things in your precious and most wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Paul, he begins our passage with a command. He begins our passage with an instruction for us. And the instruction and the command for us is this. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Paul's command to the Galatians and to us is this. Become as I am. Be like me. Follow my example. Follow my lead. 
That is the main command of this passage. And that is what Paul has kind of been building up throughout this letter because this command is actually the first direct command calling the Galatians to action. And the first direct command, it's the second command in the book, the first direct command to them to actually do something is in this verse asking them and calling on them, become as I am. Be like me. Follow my example. And no matter where you want to get in life, if you want to improve in life, usually what you need to do is follow someone else's example. I remember when I was younger and going to sports matches, my dad would take me to sports matches if I wasn't playing. He would take me to the matches and he would point out players to me. He would say, Shane, look at him. Look at the way he does that. Look how simple he is. He does the simple things. Does the simple things first. Dad would take me, point out what was he doing. He was pointing out examples to me. This is how I need to live. This is how I need to play. This is how I need to train. He's pointing out examples to me. And what Paul is saying here is that I'm the example. I want you to become as I am. I want you to be like me. But in order to get to this instruction, do you know what Paul was doing? For the last number of weeks, what Paul has been doing is he's been kind of climb, walking us up this mountain. For the last number of weeks, he's been walking up this mountain, pointing out to us the truths that we have in Christ. And some of the truths were this. In Galatians 2.16, he said this, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but justified through faith in Christ Jesus. As he was climbing us up this mountain, building for us this foundation of who we are and what we are in Christ, he's saying, you're justified by faith. You're not justified by what you do. You're justified by faith. You're not justified by your behavior. You're not justified by your acts of righteousness. You're justified by faith alone. And so he wants to build that foundation in us that we would resolve in knowing that truth. Again, as he climbed us up the mountain, as he walked us up the mountain, he said this truth. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you have believed and trusted in Christ by faith, you have been crucified with him, and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That's a foundation that he wants to build. And so he was climbing us up onto this mountain until he finally brought us to what I would say was the top of the mountain, which is what we looked at last week when he said these words. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He's climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing to the top of the mountain. And what he said to us is this. You are sons of God. You have been adopted. I want you to cling on to that truth and hang on to that truth for the rest of your life. In Ephesians chapter 1, from before the foundation of the world, we've been chosen in him adopted as sons and that adoption as sons is not just precious for the men in the room it's actually also precious for the women in the room 
I was reminded of that truth this week. You see, this past week, there was a, a preacher that um, I listened to quite a lot. His, his name um, was Tim Keller. And this preacher, uh, Tim Keller, he wrote many books and, and all those types of things, preached many, many sermons. And he was talking about this passage about our adoption as sons. He passed away this week, um, and so I thought it might be honoring to remind of, of something that he had said. And in this passage, he actually said, this is, not, this is not a passage in which we need to change for the sensibilities of our world. In other words, we don't need to talk about our adoption as sons and change it to our adoption as children of God. We don't need to change it to our adoption as sons and daughters. Now, what he was saying is we should keep it as adoption as sons. Why? Because the only ones... In the ancient world, who got the inheritance were the sons. And what he is saying to men and women in the church is all of you, no matter who you are, whether a man or a woman, you're adopted as sons and you will get all of the inheritance in eternal life. That's a wonderful truth. And so what Paul does is he, he's been building and building and building and building and building this foundation until he takes us up to the top of the mountain and he says, look, look at this view. You are sons of God. Now Paul says, I want to tell you what you need to do. It's Paul's pattern throughout his letters. Who you are, who you are, who you are, who you are. Now let me tell you what to do. And I think this morning we can learn something from Paul. Let's learn something from Paul. Let's learn from Paul's example. Paul says the main command, this is where the letter shifts into these commands. I entreat you, become as I am. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying this. I now know, as a Jew, I now know that I am justified by faith and not by works of the law. And I want you to become as free as I am. I want you to be like me. This is what all the advertisement of this world does. If you look at the advertisement of this world, have you ever seen anybody, when they're advertising the prof a product, have you ever seen them having a bad time? You'd never see them having a bad time. Especially when it comes to like alcohol or drink or, or spirits or something like that. You'll see like a vodka ad and everybody will have best time. They're the best looking people. They're the most beautiful people. They're having the most fun. They're on a beach. They're somewhere enjoying life. No one shows us the video of them puking their guts out, of headaches afterwards, of lives ruined, of families destroyed. No one shows you that. What are they trying to do? They're trying to paint a picture so that you can come on, be as I am. Be like me. You're going to be as happy as me if you have this. In a sense, that's what Paul is saying. But Paul is saying it about truth. Look at me. Look at how free I am. This is the life I want you to live. Not a life under the law. Become as me. That's what Paul is saying. So let's learn from his example today. And what can we learn from this example? I think we can learn from Paul's suffering. Look at verse 13, what he says about his suffering. You know, it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. It's, it's this verse that makes me love Paul. It's this verse that tells me, that told me when I was younger, I want to be him when I grow up. It was this verse. Because Paul has this insane perspective on his suffering. It's a perspective that I would long for. And this is a perspective that Paul, he always has. Paul, when he's, when he's, when he's writing to the Philippians, when Paul is under house arrest and he's writing to the Philippians, he writes in the letter this about his imprisonment, about his suffering. He writes these words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my chains, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now that's perspective. You see, because he's writing to the Philippians and they probably think, well, Paul's arrested and now the gospel won't go forward. So God, why would you do this? Why would you put him in chains? And Paul's writing to them saying, no, it's actually the other way around. It's not the wrong way around, it's the right way around. Paul is saying, God has actually put me in chains. So when I'm in chains, the gospel would advance. Because what happened was, he was chained probably for about seven hours at a time to the person that was guarding him. So when he's chained, and they would do shifts. So when he's chained, about seven hours, what's he going to do? What's Paul going to do when he's chained to you? He's going to be writing letters of the gospel. And guess what you're going to hear? You're going to hear the gospel. He's saying, this isn't stopping the gospel. This is an opportunity for it. So that the rest are hearing about Christ. That's perspective on his suffering. I'm in chains. And then we get his perspective on his illness in this verse here. You know that it was because of bodily ailment that I have preached the gospel to you at first. Now, here's what happens. When you start reading like all the nerds about this verse and all this stuff, what they do is they spend pages and pages trying to figure out what is this bodily ailment? To which I would say, it's probably an interesting thing to look at, but who cares? That's not actually the point. If it was the point, he would tell us what the bodily ailment was, but he doesn't. What he's reminding them is, because of that ailment, I preach to you the gospel. That's his perspective on his sickness, on his suffering. It's because of that that I preach to you the gospel. And then he admires them because back in the day, there was this idea of, um, of in, Gre in the Greco-Roman world, there was this idea of, of rhetoric and oratory. Basically, that's a posh way of saying the way people speak. So people would sit down and they would love to just hear people speak, the way they would speak, the words they would use. And what mattered wasn't only the way they would speak, but what also mattered was how they looked when they spoke. So they needed to look strong. And if they didn't look strong, nobody would listen to them. What he's saying to them is, I looked weak. I had this bodily ailment, whatever it was. And you still receive me when the world would have told you, don't listen to that guy. This is Paul's perspective and their perspective on his suffering. 
That's my prayer for us. Because suffering in your life, if it hasn't come already, it will. Many of us in this room are experiencing and have experienced suffering. And the hard news is, we will experience it again. This world, even if you're not a Christian this morning, you know this about this world. This world is broken and messed up and bad things happen and we will suffer. People we love will die. People we love will be in pain and we will hate seeing it. It will hurt. We will suffer and we will have pain. And what we need to arm ourselves with, brothers and sisters, is this. Lord, give me perspective that I might see that in this suffering, you're doing something. That's why James says the radical thing in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Because you know that God is using them to mature you. God is always doing something. Our suffering is not pointless. He has a purpose in it. He has a reason for it. He is doing something, and you can be sure that he will glorify himself in it. So what I would say to us as a church is that we would prepare for it. This world tries to avoid suffering and ignore suffering, but you can't. It is coming. What we need to do is this. Trust in the Lord Jesus in and through our suffering. Because our Savior was known as this. His name, one of His names. Do you know one of Jesus' names? The suffering servant. He gave His life up for us. That we might have this kind of perspective. So we learn from Paul's suffering. We also learn from Paul's truth. Look at verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? There's an important question that Paul asks. And I'll get to the gouging out of the eyes in a second. But there's an important question that he asks. In verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you The truth. We need to learn from Paul's truth. Paul was in love with truth. Paul writes truth. Paul spoke truth. And what was the truth that Paul was in love with? What is the truth that we need to learn from? It is the truth of the gospel. That you are not justified by your works. But you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. That Christ Jesus came into this world. He lived a perfect and sinless life on your behalf. He was the one innocent person who died on the cross for our sins. Replacing us. Becoming the substitute for us. That those who would repent of their sin, believe and trust in Him, might have eternal life because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. That is the truth that Paul held on to. That is the truth that Paul preached. That is the truth that they received from Him. And that is the truth that held their friendship together. 
Because when you believe that truth of the gospel, that Jesus sacrificed himself for you, what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to sacrifice yourself for others. And that's what true friendship is, really. Last Sunday, after the service last Sunday, I got to go and, and, and preach at um, Kevin O'Connor's induction service. Kevin O'Connor is now the pastor in, in Middleton Church. And as I was getting prepared to speak, I started to think about our friendship. And what I realized about Kevin and my friendship, you see, Kevin used to go out in, in the town out here in, in Passage with me years back. So I would finish work at, at 10 p.m. Um, then he would get dropped over to me, and then we would go from, from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning telling the teenagers around this area about Jesus. And that was our friendship, because I recognized this truth we really didn't have much in common. We don't have much in common. He loves technology and computers and all that stuff. I can barely turn them on. He likes to-do lists and all that kind of stuff. Very organized. I don't even know what a list is. We're very different. But the glue that kind of holds our relationship together, it's kind of everything we talk about when we get together. And it's not awkward. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. And so when you have that, kind of relationship, what you're willing to do is this. I'm going to sacrifice for that person. Jesus has sacrificed for me. I recognize that, and I'm going to sacrifice for them. And that's what Paul is saying about the Galatians. There was a point where you would take your eyes, by the way, you would gouge out your eyes for me. Now, obviously, realistically, that wouldn't do anybody any good. If you actually gouged out your eyes, they wouldn't see, you wouldn't be able to do anything, and the eyes would be no use to Paul. But what is he saying? He would willingly, willingly sacrifice something important to you, your very own sight for me. But now you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten the truth I told you. And now you wouldn't do that for me. And then all the bodily ailment guys. Was it something wrong with Paul's sight? Is that why they were saying they would? Yes, that's not the point. The point is they would sacrifice for this truth. We can learn from Paul's suffering. We can learn from Paul's truth. But I also want us to learn from Paul's warning. Look at verse 17. They, he's talking about the false teachers. They make much of but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may, may, may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you. You see, we know about these false teachers, these Judaizers, we know the content of what they're teaching. We already know the content of what they're teaching. What they're teaching is Jesus plus. Oh, you believe in Jesus by faith, but Gentiles, you need the Old Testament law. You need to be circumcised. You're not in if you're not circumcised. Oh, Gentiles, you need all the food laws. You're not in if you don't keep and practice the food laws. Oh, Gentiles, you need the days and the festivals. You're not quite in. Yes, you have Jesus, but you don't really have the key secret if you don't have all the Old Testament laws and live by them. 
You see, we know the false teacher's teaching, but this is the first time we hear about their motive. And what their motive is in verse 17 is this. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. We not only know the content of their preaching. See, they're not teaching so that these Galatians will be made more holy. They're teaching so that the Galatians will make much of them. Let me read to you another translation. It says this. Those people, those false teachers, are zealous to win you over for no good. What they want is to alienate us so that you may be zealous for them. Another translation. They court you eagerly. They're after you for no good purpose. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. What's the motive behind this false teaching? It's all about them. That's the purpose. The focus in their teaching is not Christ. It's not God. It's not God's Word. It's not holiness. It's not devotion of life. The focus and purpose of their teaching is that they will be made much of. And so I would encourage us to learn from that. Learn from Paul's warning this morning. There are teachers, and you can see it, that will make much of themselves and not much of Christ. And that should ring alarm bells in your ears. You should be asking yourself, anytime you hear any teaching, who is getting the attention? Is it the person teaching, or is it Christ himself? These past couple of weeks, someone, I don't know how I, how I got a message or how I got this teaching. I was able to watch the sermon. I'm interested in, in, in teaching. I'm interested in sermons. I, I do like to listen to them sometimes. It's kind of a love-hate relationship sometimes. Some, there, there's a, you know what? In the history of the world, we have more content, more Christian content than any other Christian has ever had in the history of the world. Before, it was just your, ter- your church and your teaching. Now, you can have any church anywhere in the world, which means you can have any kind of gospel and any kind of teaching in the world. And so we need to be careful. And a simple rule of thumb is this. I, I, I got to listen to this message. I got to watch this message. And the guy, he was impressive. But he spoke for five minutes, no Bible. Ten minutes, still no Bible. Fifteen minutes, no Bible. I'm like, buddy, it's your job. Like your job is just open that up. That's your job. Not to invent things, not to teach things from your own mind or your own self. Open it up. Then he did share a verse which was nothing to do with what he was saying and which made no point that the verse was actually trying to make. And he carried on. It was supplemental to what he was saying. It wasn't the core of what he was saying. And so I think that's just a simple way that we can watch out for false teaching. Does the person open this up? I I really don't care how wise people are. Is it a wisdom that matches God's word? 
Because they actually care about what he says. And that should be our priority. Sometimes people even mean well. Mean very well. But we have to always ask, does it line up and does it match up with this word? So learn from Paul's warning. And then finally, we learn from Paul's anguish, his pain. Verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Do you hear the emotion in Paul's language? My little children, I'm in anguish. I wish I could be with you. I'm perplexed and I'm confused. This is Paul's emotion. You know, Paul, he's kind of an emotional guy, isn't he? You read his letter, you go, this guy's pretty emotional. Throughout this letter, he's conveying that emotion. In Galatians 1.6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel. That's his emotion. Galatians 3, verse 1, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? You're being foolish. Galatians 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, and you are now being perfected by the flesh? Galatians 4, verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again? Did you hear his emotion? He's, a, he's writing in anguish. He's writing in pain. He wants better for them. When you love someone, what do you want? You want the best for them, don't you? When you love someone, you want the best for, for them. When you love people as a Christian who don't love Christ, what do you want? You want Christ for them. And you've anguish and you've pain and you pray and you desire that the Lord would come into their life and change their hearts and mind. I have anguish for people in my life that I desire that they would trust and believe and follow the Lord Jesus. And, and day after day I say, Lord, will you wake them up? Because I can't do it. My conversation isn't working. I talk to them. They either get bored or angry. But God, if you talk to them, if you talk to them, you could save them. So that's our desire, isn't it? For people who don't know Christ. But then our desire for people who do know Christ is what? Is what? Not only that they would know Christ, but what? That they would grow in Christ. That should be our anguish for people. That people will grow in Christ. That's what he's saying. Again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I want you, Paul is saying, I want you, my desire, my anguish, my pain for you as a Christian is that you would be more like Christ. That Christ would be more formed in you every single day. That you would grow more and more to be like Jesus. Not your own strength, but the power of the Spirit within you. That Spirit that cries within you, Abba, Father. That's his anguish. That's his desire. His heart's desire and his anguish is very much like the heart's desire, I think, that, that pastors and elders should have for their church. It is a heart's desire and an anguish that I believe and I think Brendan should have for this church as a pastor and as an elder and that I should have 
for this church as a pastor and an elder. That our heart's desire weekly, that our anguish, anguish weekly would be praying for you that you would grow and be more formed like Christ. And that's my heart's desire even for you now. Because I was thinking about this summer, right? And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I was thinking about this summer. And as I was thinking about this summer for this church, I texted Luana, I was texting Luana something and you know, I, I, I text her this as part of, part of the text. And, you know, I can hear, you know, the pastoral legends from before saying, Shane, don't share it, don't share it. I don't really care. Um, I prefer to be honest with you. Um, I said this to her. I'm concerned for the health of our church in July and August. I said other stuff to her. Kiss emoji and all that kind of stuff. I'm concerned for my church, for the church, in July and August. Why? Why? Because in the months, many of us are going to be away. The Keatings are away for the rest of the summer. They will fall away from the faith. They won't be in their home fellowship for months. It's a hard thing. Luana and the kids, they're going to be away soon. I'm concerned. I'm going to miss the hugs. I'm going to miss the kisses. I'm going to miss the you know, Bible times. All those for like over a month. They're going to be away. I'm concerned for them. Their health, not just physically, but spiritually. Because they're going to be away from the church family. I'm concerned for you. Listen. I want you to have a holiday. I want you to rest. But I want you to rest for the Lord. For Jesus. Rest for Him. Enjoy your holiday. For Him, not for you. Whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, I do it for the glory of the Lord. And when you're away, watch out for your heart. And for those of us that remain here for longer, I would encourage you, be careful of your heart. Ireland, we are amazing. Amazing. Like Americans come here, you pretty much shut down all year. We're unreal. Like if we can invent another bank holiday, we will do it. We are unreal. We take long holidays. We're unreal. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just the reality of what we do. But the danger for the Christian is, well, I'm on holidays. Let's just shut off. Don't have to listen to Shane for a few weeks. Great. Don't have to read my Bible. Don't have to pray. We're out of routine. And when you're out of routine, it can be dangerous. Let's learn from Paul's anguish. Paul desired that people would grow in Christ. My desire for you this summer, even as, you, even as you're away, my desire for you is that you would grow that you wouldn't just stagnate and plateau. That you would grow in Christ. Love Him and learn more about Him. Paul at the start of our passage said this, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Be like me. And Paul didn't say, be like me because I'm so great. 
That's not his emphasis. That's not Paul's emphasis. If you just took that verse out of context, you'd be, this guy's full of himself, isn't he? He wants all of us to be like him, like he's the star. No. It's kind of like this attitude. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Paul said these words. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. (laughs) Don't follow me for me's sake. Because we all know what me is like. Paul, the persecutor. Now follow me. Look at my example. As I follow Christ. And brothers and sisters, let's go together. Let's do that together. Let's follow Jesus. We'll fall. We'll stumble. We'll have to pick each other up. But let's follow him together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of the servant Paul. And we pray, Lord, that we would seek to be followers of you who learn from him. Lord, I pray that we would learn how to suffer in this world, the focus on you. Pray that we'd be learn, learn how to avoid false teachers. And I do pray for us this summer, Lord. Pray that we'd be zealous to rest for you, to enjoy family time and break for you, not for us. And I pray that, Lord, as we enjoy that, we'll be thankful for all that you have given us. And we think, Lord, of the Keatings, Lord, as they fly out, what a precious family they are. Pray that you would protect them for these months ahead. Pray that you protect them for June and July and August. Lord, keep them. Lord, may they grow in you. Lord, can we be a church, Lord, that prays for them regularly, that doesn't forget those who are away. Help us, Lord, be that kind of church, I pray. In your name, amen.